0: nine four two six nine or brparley at gmail.com
1: the times 959 and you are tuned to weru fm 89.9 blue hill 99.9 bangor and streaming online at weru.org boat talk with your hosts alan sprague and mike joyce is up next
2: sir. I the some home
3: to Good morning. Good morning. It's um, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, second Tuesday of the month. That brings around Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And uh, all around this wet world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is uh, brought to you by your rusty anchors and uh, diggy commentators, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. It is a call-in show, too, for people uh, who would like to contribute. I'll give you the number right now to start out. The c- number to call is 1-866-625-9378. And we have a whole variety of things to talk about today, Mike. It's kind of an organic uh, thing, the way it grows, Alan, uh, over... over, mean uh, kind of
2: like mold? The time in between, <laughs> and uh, we... Started to arrange a bunch of things, and, and uh, they didn't connect until uh, some of them connected at 2 o'clock in the morning last night. But, you know, uh, yes, we have a bunch of different stuff. We will talk about uh, there is a town meeting uh, ballot today in Bar Harbor about cruise ships coming. Uh, we have some material about cruise ships here. And uh, we will also, um, most exciting thing this morning, at uh, the end of the program, we're going to talk to uh, the same fellow we, we chatted with last month, Michael Finkel. Michael will be calling him from south France. Last month we chatted with him about his, boat, uh, his book uh, Stranger in the Woods, which I think is a new absolute drop-dead Maine classic, the story of the North Pond Hermit, fellow that was 27 years uh, hiding in the woods in Rome, Maine. And uh, he also wrote a, a wonderful uh, story in GQ magazine about uh, three teenagers – Survived being lost in the ocean for fifty one days off of New Zealand and we'll chat him up about that one this morning and and uh, remind you all about the Hermit Book and uh we're gonna talk about Penobscot River compost and toilets. Uh,
3: composting toilets
2: is that the head of the list. Oh. He's the punny one. Uh. And uh eels and uh Oh, what's some other things? O star race. Urchins, too, the O O star race. Let's start uh, today's paper, front page. Maine elver fishermen caught $12 million worth of baby eels this season. The average price for pounds, about $1,300. There's about 2,000 of them, little wrigglers in a pound. Okay, and uh, Maine is the only, I believe, the only state in the union that catches them. Um well, I think they, they go are down
3: the coast, or at least they used to go uh the I
2: thought it was South Carolina before, but again it 's very limited. We had a um we have a uh, limit of uh eels, and we caught all but three hundred and thirty four pounds this year. It was a uh, uh not a record year but an excellent one and uh those little things get sent over to the far east they get grown out
3: in aquaculture ponds and only eaten when they get really big, yeah. It still boggles my mind that they had to go through that process when it's the the eels naturally grow big in the ponds around here. Who knew that eels would be
2: worth twelve million bucks? <laughs> Who knew the urchins would be gold? But there aren't any more, yeah. basically, and they're arguing over the urchin oh, yeah, fishery, which uh, again, back in the late eighties, just absolutely boomed on the coast
3: of Maine here. Yeah, a millions of millions some new, of dollars. New regulations for the urchins.
2: Yeah, and uh, kind of uh, overdid itself possibly a little bit, and several. Uh, different directions and and uh, quite subsided they're projecting still six million dollars worth of uh, urchins this year mostly a diving and dragging fishery and uh, but they're arguing over when and how so uh, that one's still up in the air the lobster season is starting off and uh, here's the word on the street about the lobsters catches are up okay everybody's uh, man bagging them as quick as they can
3: what Scientists think? say that babies are down. down. Yes. That sounds like a, uh, a something bad is going to happen in the near future, doesn't it? Dow, ah, What a scientist. What a, no, yeah. We
2: can throw a lot of fog on science, Alan, yeah, and, oh, and we've oh, been true, doing yes. that, uh, discussing the global warming, the uh,
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: whole thing on Botox the last couple months. Um, let's take a minute to uh, discuss that right now, too. We've been uh, talking about that story the last couple months. I read a book several months ago. Fellow named Amitav Ghosh, he's an Indian fellow from India, and um, his boat makes a point that the politics will be paramount, and how it devolves when it all falls apart is what he calls the armed lifeboat versus the politics of attrition paradigm. Uh, hopefully the well-to-do uh, strong people are in the armed lifeboat and everybody else can go uh, good luck to you and we'll, trish, we will avert our eyes uh, best as possible until that gets impossible but as uh, pointed out on boat talk the armed lifeboat uh, theory is not a good one uh, my friend sonny perkins was in an armed lifeboat lifeboat with some spanish guys who uh, had a knife fight and as sonny said well what happens when you get into a knife fight in uh, a lifeboat, Sonny? You best be the baddest mother in the lifeboat, okay? Yeah. And and again, none of it's good. So uh, let's not end up in the armed lifeboat. Here's the point, though. Um, last month we uh, uh, said that uh, Bloomberg News had shifted the story from a science story to a financial story. And there's the heart of it right there when you get right down to a liability and money. And uh so this month uh the president has withdrawn from the Paris Climate Accords and caused quite a big stir. We've joined uh Nicaragua and Syria. Syria's of war, in Nicaragua and can't sign nothing. Uh Nicaragua wants much stronger uh measures and, and uh, didn't sign up for it. We are gonna lead ourselves right sideways on that one. So here's the cool part about it, uh, the head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, um Interviewed multiple times on television asked the same question, "Does the president believe that the climate is warming uh and that it's due to man made factors?" He would not answer the question. he only said, "Never come up. We yeah. only talked about we only talked about money. yeah, you know we're only talking about money here. It never come up doesn't matter and uh best of luck with that. It's called the head in the sand approach, I believe. Well, um, and again, you can keep your head in the sand, but if uh, it's all going wrong along about you, your ass is kind of exposed, isn't it, I would just say. Well. Um, and here's the interesting thing we want to add on to the, um, the thing about the armed lifeboat and the uh, politics of finance uh, this month. Let's uh, add the idea of the sliding scale of denial, which really makes the whole thing uh, work. Um, fog is a killer. Uh, and uh, you can make doubt better than you can make certainty. And to uh, generate fog is apparently not that hard. So
3: hey, there's some well-practiced people doing
2: that. Yeah, and and so here's here's the thing that's interesting though. The uh, there's a sliding scale of denial. It goes from it's not happening. This is a hoax. It's a Chinese hoax. It's a false religion of liberals. And blah blah blah. Yeah. To yeah, it's happening. But it's natural because uh, sunspots and volcanoes and cows fart. Yeah, a further study approach. And and you can have any part of that that you want to, uh, and again, it makes it all fuzzier and foggier and really helps things to, uh, uh, you know, not connect. Um, I hate to bring him up, but uh, he was beside himself uh, when this happened, as our old buddy Rush Limbaugh, master propagandist, and again... <laughs> Uh, what we're alleging here is propaganda matters is what we're saying. And, and the only thing that he can't compromise on with Donald Trump is climate change. He couldn't care less about the wall taxes, any yeah, of that stuff, yeah. as long as he puts it to liberals and, uh, and doesn't uh, cl- go on the climate change. So here's Russia's mm-hmm. position. He used to think that uh, people that believe in, in climate change were deluded but basically nice people who could be reeducated. He no longer believes that. He now believes that that uh, people that believe such things are evil and trying to level the playing field, have us all living in third world huts. And uh, again, he uh, he doesn't think that there's any mistake there. Um, your religion can be sweet if it's based on faith, but if it's based on lies. It's evil, right. and that's again, this is that's the fog that messes this whole thing up. That makes the whole thing uh, just stupid
3: enough not to well. You know, we got to try to cut the fog on the local level, and we have uh, Jim Freeman on the phone speaking of uh, localism. Just this last Saturday, there was a, uh, a rally um, on the Penobscot River up in Bangor, and I think Jim's going to tell us about that. Good morning, Jim.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me
3: on. Welcome to Boat Talk. So uh, why don't you first describe what happened last Saturday and uh, why it happened and what do you think this is going to happen in the future?
1: Well, basically, from Standing Rock, and it evolved as water protectors, and that's what they labeled themselves out in North Dakota. And so we felt we have many issues right here with our own rivers and our own water. And so we joined with the Penobscots, um, called it a Penobscot River ra- Rally. It was more of a celebration. Water is life. <clears throat> um, just to kind of Educate people on our own issues here um, and the beauty of the river. Since 1980, the Indian Land Claim Settlement, the Penobscot has gotten cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, um, and mostly due to the Penobscots. And um, we feel like they're the best caretakers of the river. um, And we'll move from there. And just as long, you know, more and more people are using it. It's an economic engine in the Bangor and Brewer area, and it's just vital for our for our lives here.
3: All right, so um, this is Boat Talk. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what kind of boats were there and uh, maybe in the future if other people wanted to join you with boats, how do they do that?
1: Um, well, it, we probably have something next summer, but it's mostly kayaks and canoes, although there was a couple uh, motorboats just more there for safety. Um, one interesting thing we didn't have this year, but the last flotilla we had, the Penobscots have two twenty-eight 28-foot war canoes that are just... Incredibly beautiful. Twelve people can sit in them, and it was drummers and stuff like that. So it's nice up there. If you ever, I mean, you can paddle all the way down to Verona Island from in the Penobscot River and go with the current. Um, but it just there's a certain I don't know majesty about it, if that's the right word. Just you're out there. It's, there's a little breeze. It's pretty safe. There's not a tremendous current. Um, and we might add forty, forty or fifty kayakers and, and, and canoers. Um, and it's it's festive. It's fun.
2: You ever think, Jim, about where all that water comes from and where it's going? It's it's alive, man. It's an artery. It's that's the magic of it. Partly, well, isn't it's it?
1: The, it's the blood of our life. But <clears throat> different than the other rivers, Penobscot has the by far the largest watershed. I'm not sure if it's in New England, <clears throat> but it certainly is in Maine, and and it's. It doesn't really have a floodplain, and so if you look where the Penobscot goes to the East Branch, the West Branch, and then you have the Pleasant River and the East Branch and the Pleasant Branch, you know, and <clears throat> the East Branch and West Branch of the Pleasant River, and all like you just said, all the arteries, all the little rivulets that come into it, it's it's massive when you look at it, and it's you know part of the the deal is we the it has to be kept at the Penobscot standards, and you know, basically sustenance, we um, have to be able to eat the fish and hunt the wildlife and things out of the river and it's not there yet. It's coming but um, we just have to be vigilant and keep pushing to make it make it as clean as possible.
2: I grew up on the bottom end of the Penobscot River, Jim. Uh, I'm sorry, Presumpscot River, Jim. And a um, uh, beautiful little river leaves Sebago Lake and then goes by uh, a leather tannery and a pulp mill. And by the time it nice. got to our house, we didn't even like to send the Labrador Retriever right. in when we shot ducks, you know. Right. And, uh, but we ate the ducks, so um, the point being the, uh, uh, tannery and the mill are closed, that river has cleaned itself in an am- uh, and an amazing, I was just, uh, down there a couple of weeks ago, people are kayaking and swimming it.
1: Yeah. People swim in it on Saturday.
2: Yeah, And the restorative power is pretty impressive, but will it ever be hundred percent clean is another, another question on the, you know, like, but, but the restorative power is really
1: impressive couple things. <clears throat> the, there aren't any paper mills on the river anymore. <clears throat> the last one went out with Lincoln, I believe. And in the dam removal, has <clears throat> had a lot to do with that. Having, a, I think it's three dams now have been taken out. And so the Adronomous fish are coming back. And literally the fish help <clears throat> clean it up because behind the dam embankments, there was a lot of sediment and, <clears throat> and sludge and whatever else that was trapped behind the dams. And now that's all gone. <clears throat> and so more and more fish are coming back. We hope the salmon come in numbers that the uh, owl wives and shad are coming back in. But that's really, really encouraging. And a couple of the uh, fish ladders have been really upgraded. Um, The further up the river you go, the more beautiful it is.
2: Yep. I read a fascinating book about the uh, Colorado River just recently, and it doesn't even make it all the way to the ocean, and the water is overpromised. It's uh, quite well dammed up and impounded, and uh, it literally doesn't add up the uh, uh, limiting factor uh, clean water when yeah. you get right down to it, you know, and more of that uh, limiting, uh, you know, it seems to be on the horizon here.
1: Right. Well, I think we're on the right path. <clears throat> Part of a couple of the speakers that spoke yesterday, though, we do have some threats. One that we didn't speak about, which I'll mention, <clears throat> that's, I think is on the horizon, but, but basically um, you know, the Juniper Ridge landfill <clears throat> just got permitted to have an expansion. That the leachate from that is captured in ponds, but when that pond gets full, that's brought to the Old Town um, sewage treatment plant and dumped there. <clears throat> so that eventually ends up, that has hot, you know, heavy metals in it arsenic and cadmium and different kinds of stuff from construction and demolition debris. And then we have the mining bill that just, we we were blessed with that, all the people that worked on that to stop the uh, sludge ponds from the mines. Um, <clears throat> but another issue that I think is on the horizon, and I'm not positive, but it's called purified wood which they want to do in Millinocket, Medway area, um, torrified wood is kind of a fancy name for charcoal, and they would like to send that to Europe to mix with coal. 20% of the torrified wood mixed with coal. Dilution is the solution. And that requires a lot of water to cleanse. They can't send raw wood or wood chips because of invasive species. So once they charcoal it, um, and that so that that would just be putting more affluence. And corporations think that the Penobscot River is too clean now, we can can dump more stuff in it. So we just have to stay on top of our game and we have a really good group of people along, you know, as the stewardship of the Penobscots and the leadership role has been tremendous.
3: Good deal. Very good, Jim. Um, So if people in the future, like I said, would like to join you, why don't you give some sort of contact information?
1: You can get me get in front of me um, at packratjimf at gmail dot com. Um, and we, there's different groups around. You can get contact people through the Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine, and I'm sure some people at WIU would have our contacts there too. If people you know had trouble getting us. Right.
3: Very good. Thank you for your uh, for, thank you for all you do. First, and uh, thanks for thanks. being on Boat Talk.
1: Thank you. you got a good community, and you got a good show.
3: Thank you very much. Bye, Jim. Jim Freeman this morning.
2: Thank you. And uh, why don't we keep talking about uh, dirty water,
3: Alan? Okay. Where yep. do you want to go next? Uh, uh, again, many we, choices here. we can go
2: a bunch of different places. Uh, let's talk, keep talking about dirty water because we just were. Um, Bar Harbor is voting today at town meeting uh, ballot on uh, two proposals. One is to buy the old Canadian uh, ferry pier, and turn it into a cruise ship pier, the cruise ships being a lot bigger than the old Canadian fa- uh, ferry. The blue-nose ferry. Yeah, but Bar Harbor is what's known as a tender port. Um, ships uh, take up a couple of different anchorages out in the porcupines there, and they uh, are tendered ashore in small vessels that, if it's uh, windy enough, don't tender anybody ashore. And the average cruise ship passenger spends, uh, I believe, uh, $120, uh, or was it Uh, it $1,200? I'll get that right in a minute, but uh, every time they step ashore. And uh, there's more of them coming all the time. So um, there uh, is another citizen referendum in Bar Harbor to uh, limit the zoning for the waterfront and limit the amount of uh, time and amount of people that can stay. Apparently, if the citizen initiative wins... The real estate, uh, by by the peer thing, will be kind of beside the point. And we had, uh, in the last week or two, uh, those people on uh, WERU here. We had Colin show uh show, uh, MDI, I forget the name of the organization, but the uh, resistance uh, uh, to the peer organization were on, on uh, one of these 10 o'clock shows a week or so ago here. Um, we uh, received a... Uh, I got an email from a retired chief engineer a few years ago about um, he'd written an editorial in the Bangor paper about uh, polluting cruise ships, and he sent me— It's not just cruise ships, too. Well, ships in general, but
3: people in general, Alan, uh, you know. Yeah, we're talking about a thing called magic pipes. Yeah, but people
2: in general are, again, uh, Alice's Restaurant Principle. It's a lot easier to throw that down than to pick the other stuff up and and ever thus, so, Mm -hmm. you know— be able to throw it overboard and disappear it, even easier. But um, he sent me an article from um, Maritime Executive Magazine from uh, back in December of 16. And uh, the essence of the, mag- of the article is that the Caribbean Princess, a um, Carnival cruise ship, got fined $40 million for discharging oil-contaminated wastewater uh, into Miami. Uh, harbor and also a five-year uh, probation they will have to be monitored, uh, you know, and make sure they don't do anything wrong. What happened was they were um, pumping waste directly overboard to save money, mm-hmm. basically. And they had a couple of tricks to this because, as the old chief engineer points out, you don't lose thousands of gallons of water on, on a, uh, a ship's yeah, industrial plant know, like that.
3: You know where it goes. You know
2: where it goes. There's a budget for everything gallons and dollars and everything. Uh-huh. Um, but it is expensive. The chief on this boat was said to have uh, brosino corto, Italian for short arms. Literally, can't reach my pockets to get any money out. That's, that's the, uh, <laughs> uh, was said to the, about this guy. And what he would do. They had a couple of schemes. They would rinse the bilge to dilute um, the water in it and pump it overboard so that they wouldn't get uh, oil alarms that would prevent them from dumping stuff overboard. Okay, They'd yeah. open the seacocks while they were pumping and, and uh, dilute it all. The other thing they did was took the oily bilge water and put it into the gray water uh, waste system. And then, uh, again, they don't have to do the oily uh, regulations on that. They save a lot of time and trouble. The... Uh, thing was found to have, quote, magic pipes that were built into the boat in
3: 2005. They are. Yeah. If you've ever been on a big boat, you'll see that there's a lot of pipes going a whole different ways. And they are most all of them have labels on them describing just what's inside of the pipes. Plumbing's not a mystery to plumbers. No. Uh, it shouldn't be. It can't yeah. be. Well, they can make it mysterious but a magic switching pipe. labels. Yes.
2: I've been told to do that on, y- on two yeah. different yachts. Yeah. With overboard discharge thing uh label the y valve the wrong way, Mike <laughs> yeah right, so anyway, um they got caught at that, and the crew uh, uh made it worse by lying to the coast guard, uh, even when they knew the jig was up, and they found the old valves with the gunk in them and yeah. and uh so anyway the um method uh and the madness is all financial, but it can be done better yeah it can it can be done better and uh Here's the other point about these uh, cruise ships. There are more of them coming all the time. Um, more and bigger. And more and bigger. The cruise ship industry is expanding um, like you wouldn't believe, and there are 410 cruise ships expected this year. That is uh, comparable to 360 last year, and uh, that's 39 ships from 21 different lines, and uh, goes from April to November. They use Bar Harbor, Portland, Camden, Booth Bay, Bath, Belfast, and Castine, among other places. And the whole area is involved, Canada, New England, the uh, whole down east area. It's not one port that's making a difference. It's the whole group. If you tell them they can't come to Bar Harbor, uh, they're just going to go someplace else. Yeah. You know where they don't go?
4: Eastport. East
2: no, Eastport. Uh, Northeast Harbor voted not to have them come <laughs> yeah, to town, but that's right. <laughs> but Chris, our friend Chris Gardner down in Eastport would love to have them down there. They've been in the past. They bring money. Eastport needs deep, them got, bad. Deep water there too. has a pier, uh, but they don't have a lot of attractions. Mm-hmm. And again, um, they don't uh, go down to Washington County where we'd like to have them. But mm-hmm. so anyway, that's the cruise ship thing. Uh, possibly we can link to that uh, maritime executive okay, um, yeah. article. One more. Have... I want to make one more point for you. I know is waiting on the phone there. The thing that fascinated me about this article in Maritime Executive Magazine was the comment section. The, the people, the maritime uh, professionals that commented on this were beside themselves angry. Over the, it was not. Oh yeah, business as usual. This happens all the time. This was these these guys you should never be allowed in a boat. They should go to prison. They should you know yep. be made to pay way more. There is no excuse they, for this. And definitely
3: yes. One rotten apple in a
2: barrel. So be. let's not indict uh, the whole thing. And and again, people got to poop somewhere. And so whether they're ashore or not, <laughs>
3: it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to Captain Yo. Good morning, Yo. Thanks for waiting.
4: That's quite all right. Good morning, guys. Your allusion to Alice's restaurant was interesting, having just viewed it last night for the first time literally in decades. And I understand not know if all of our listeners know the story of Arlo Guthrie being cited for illegal dumping. He told the arresting officer, Yes, officer, I can't tell a lie. I put that envelope with my name on it underneath that trash. Well, they were sentenced to pick it up and get rid of it and they were hounded out of town from town to town by the police that had all been notified, and they wound up driving this trash from upstate New York all the way to the city, where they tipped it at the municipal tippage into a huge barge, (laughs) which was then towed by a towboat out the narrows and into the sea 12 miles away to dump. And I thought it was an interesting resolution of an intractable problem well, what struck me as most significant was in the 60s, it would be considered the most normal thing in the world to bring a barge of just municipal right, waste yeah. out to the sea and open the bottom. And
2: that was standard practice. Problem yeah. solved. The movie, movie hold up good, do uh, you think, Joe? Yo?
4: Well, by today's standards, it's slower paced, but it's an interesting icon of, of the day, particularly the, the scene of this barge being trailed by seagulls yeah. as they moved away from the pier out to the ocean. And Guys, again, thanks a lot for putting on this show and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Yeah.
2: And uh, lots of damned old hippies in that that uh old movie Alice's restaurant. Uh Well,
3: one let me give the number first before we get back to to more. Um 18666259378 if you'd like to call in call in and join Boat Talk.
2: Demand for uh
3: there's another note from the
2: uh article in the paper I clipped here about uh, demand is uh, rising for cruise ships they are building them like they're going out of style and here is uh, one of the key uh, little facts i think cruise passengers tend to come from outside of maine's traditional tourism sources um you're getting different new tourists
3: that's that's heavy that's good. People who don't like driving long ways, maybe.
2: Uh, and again, if Grandma is coming to town and she wants to spend a thousand dollars, we'd like to have Grandma in town. Basically, is yeah. is the uh, general feeling on that. So,
3: speaking about new cruise ships, have you seen this? There's a. I uh, see new... it now.
2: It ain't very pretty. It's an electric, uh, driverless revolution about yeah. to hit the high uh, seas. Autonomous
3: shipping now is is the next big thing. Supposed oh, to be good. Heavy. Doing without seamen—that's not smart. Uh, yeah. It, no 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 uh no here we are troublesome involved. but handy in my opinion, you know it's uh gonna happen rolls royce is the big big motivator behind this this next uh next step in shipping why not
2: a uh, driverless cars, what could go wrong Driver, uh, and again man unmanned uh, ocean vessels nothing could uh, yeah, yeah, well, outside of land, nothing could go wrong out there <laughs> knowing yeah. a
3: few captains, we probably just about the same difference. Between yeah. them.
2: How about the O-Star race? Oh, it's uh, going from England to uh, Newport, Rhode Island right now, and they run into 70-knot winds. Yeah, I think it's been canceled.
3: Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six boats that have dropped out for uh, various reasons because of the storm that, that they they ran into. The storm had... Um, Sixty knot winds and uh, fifteen meter seas. I guess that's probably what three forty five feet Fifty. 50 foot feet yeah fifty and foot again seas, uh, pretty good. That's a
2: force ten gale. Been there, seen that. You don't want to. Yeah. And uh, they had film on the television news of a fella abandoning his thirty uh, seven foot yacht being
3: rescued by the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary. Yes, that was the boat's Tamarind who uh, suffered damage and the uh, skipper single-handed got off. There was a boat um, rescued by an ocean-going tug that was dismasted. Uh, One boat sunk. Um, Q rescued by a survey vessel. Uh, Another one retired and has the motor back. They're okay, though. And uh, the, the Halifax Coast Guard... It's a long, long way from Halifax out to the middle there. Man. Give uh, them credit. uh, Nobody lost their lives. so. I understand sailboat racing, but I've never been a fan
2: of it. (sighs) uh, So anyway. uh. Can we talk about uh let's can we us go back to dirty water again Alan, and uh the subject is related once more um it's a good song too going to uh put a um, composting head into a 38 foot wooden boat this uh spring and uh been looking into the subject talking to other people and uh have an article here from boating magazine about the uh, compost and toilets there are basically two models one is called uh the airhead, love, love the name of that one, and nature's head is the other. They're basically uh, uh, the same machine with different buckets, and, and here's the principle. You've got to sit down, okay, and mm. we're going to separate your pee and your poop. Uh, the pee goes into a bucket in the front, and the poop goes into a bucket underneath the seat. That bucket has a big crank on it. With uh, paddle wheels inside, the idea is that you need to break up that poop completely so there are no nuggets of moist poop in there, (laughs) and we throw in a a brick of peat moss. I'm glad this is radio. (laughs) We throw in a brick of peat moss and mix it around, and you can go, it says here, um, uh, 60 to 80 uses before you have to clean The peat moss uh, chamber, you can grow flowers in that. It's not recommended to grow vegetables uh, and eat them, but you can grow flowers in that afterwards. Um, You could probably
3: grow shiitake mushrooms. Oh,
2: (laughs) dear. He's the punny one. That's all we'll say about that. You can also, with uh, two people full use, go three to four days on the uh, liquid tank, they say, before you have to empty that. Here's the key to the thing. There's no holding tank. This is completely marine uh, So where do you empty the 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 P tank? The P tank can can uh you can call a pump out boat. You can dump it overboard and, it, and uh in right areas, places. Yes yeah. you can and uh you can take it ashore and, and dump it into the uh marina uh you know. Uh like I say, there's lots of places you can put that. You can get em- extra buckets, you don't have to uh you know, you you can have a bucket in reserve. Here's the other thing about this: there's no holding tank on the boat anymore. The holding tank is the unit; they don't take up that much space. Yeah. Um, one of my least favorite things about fiberglass boats is the absolute typical. Uh, I, I, it comes to me like a, a whack in the head just thinking about it. Okay, slide the hatch back on a on a fiberglass boat. The first thing you smell is old fiberglass, and the second is sewage. Yep. And the head, yeah, and everybody goes, "Oh, oh, you, good to be back on the boat, and we ignore that, yeah. we resolutely ignore it, okay, and that holding tank stinks, the hoses stink, everything the hoses stinks, do and you permeate. uh you hang it on a morning in the sunshine and bake it with the windows closed, and it stinks, okay, yeah. the compost and heads odorless if you do it right, they're odorless, mm-hmm. and you you've eliminated that stink, you've eliminated the holding tank, and uh it only costs like a thousand bucks. Hmm. the airhead and the nature's head are the two uh uh main kinds, and again uh, pretty excited to um we're gonna see where that leads. going to i think be installing one fairly soon and a boat that I used to be involved with in Belfast to uh, install one last year and and she by all reports loves it and been so talking you're going to be the head carpenter. thank you so much. Yeah. He is the punny one, yeah yeah, but compost and head something to think about
3: yeah okay um
2: because again um how About composting heads on the Caribbean princess
3: <laughs> boy, it would certainly
2: uh it does depend on proper use we 'd have thing. to educate grandma and, and uh, make we 'd have to whack her in the knuckles when she didn't uh, uh <laughs> you know uh stir I'm, the drum enough, you know I, put in I, enough I, peat but but there goes your wastewater problem right there yeah yeah,
3: yeah I, actually i 've seen a few in boat houses too or uh, boat shops i guess i say where um they used to have just a hole in the floor and now they've had to uh, upgrade and they have composting toilets
2: well Well, and let's um let's acknowledge something else too um flush the flush rate jim was talking about penobscar river when they take the dams out it not only helps the andromeda's fish Hmm. it flushes the damn thing somebody's water flush better than others um our coast has uh, 10 to uh, you know twenty foot tide and flushes quite efficiently. Um, the Berdora lakes, for instance, the inland uh, waterway in Cape Breton, takes twelve years to change the water if they catch you pooping in uh, without a holding tank up there oh you want some big trouble son yeah though their death on that and, mm-hmm. and it takes 12 years for the water to change so it doesn't flush itself I very well
3: wonder what happens into the water in there because there's a lot of ocean going boats that will go in there to clean their hulls you know oh, barnacles and that sort of stuff dropping in there time after time what what does that do uh just what you'd think invasive species yeah, yeah. no doubt about it hmm. um one world,
2: baby. Globalism. Yeah. yep. Great leader. He'll, he'll fix He knows best. He'll fix everything. Yeah. So we are coming up. Uh, we're about uh, a little past halfway past Boat Talk here. We're hoping for a call from the south of France in a few minutes. Yeah. And rechat with Michael Finkel, uh, who we talked with last month, wrote the uh, Stranger no, we, in the Woods, North Pond
3: uh, Hermit book. We could talk about the uh, Boat Talk cruise. That's right. Coming up this, this Saturday. This Saturday I should run out and see how many tickets are left. I know they go quickly. Could, but
2: Couldn't have felt good about it if we hadn't remembered that, could we,
3: Alan? <laughs> no, no. Um, Seeing how they let us come in here and, and do this with all these microphones and yeah. electricity.
2: Least we. Could do I checked
3: out the uh, the weather forecast. It looks like it's going to be a partly cloudy day,s which makes it going to be perfect? perfect for a perfect. sunset
2: shot. There is no bad boat talk weather. The boat basically is covered, uh, you know, and... and uh, Again, the focus can be in and out of the boat. It really doesn't matter, but there is uh, better weather. There's no doubt about it. We uh, take Sea Princess, Bar Harbor Boating Company, the Allen Brothers. Um, Very nice to lend us that boat. Uh, Captain, a uh, narrator, you know, and we take about 50 people and uh, potluck, B-Y-O-B. Kids are free. That will be a stunner to people that have kids, but kids are free when they're on the boat. And a huge engine box on that boat, and it gets covered with good stuff and a lot of happy people. Yep. 20, uh, 27 tickets left. We're just about halfway
3: there then. So The boat's never been
2: of... uh, not full, and and there's never been a bad Boat Talk cruise. It's not even possible. It is highly, highly recommended. We have a lot of repeat people, and it's kind of a WERU thing. You kind of have to do if you're uh, a supporter fan uh Listener to this radio station, you ought to,
3: you ought to try it at least well, once. Yeah, the conversation comes easily on that boat. we'll put it that way. That's for yeah. sure.
2: After you get, after you get over your disappointment <laughs> of how handsome uh, Alan and I are, really not. <laughs> um, you know, it's all good. So, yeah. um, um, and again, but, it's a it's a beautiful fundraiser for this here radio station it is, that uh, we do on a once or twice a year basis. We've got a couple people uh, trying to lend us their boats now, and and again, beautiful, beautiful evening on. Uh,
3: Yep. Uh, the number to call for tickets, though, if you'd like to call in and uh, use your credit card to buy uh, tickets, the number to, number is uh, 469-6600. We'll get you right straight to Susan and Jill. She'll, she'll take your numbers.
2: I'm uh, thinking of I always make the same thing because it's kind of uh, expected of me, but I'm thinking of going sideways this year. We'll see. Sideways on
3: the boat? Uh well, culinary, uh, culinary. <laughs> oh, okay, yes. okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm still undecided. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm you're a good cook, and so am I. Tempted? Yeah, yeah. We both enjoy cooking, and a lot of other people do do there too. There's some great, great dishes that come there. Not your usual uh, cheese and cracker sort of thing. That yeah. Is, And the Boat Talk crews, again, allowed into Northeast Harbor, where they voted
2: not to have cruise ships anchor off of their harbor and and come into their tiny, tiny little town. They just thought they'd be overwhelmed. Northeast Harbor is not a tourist honky-tonk town so much as it is into a high-end resident. uh, Density would
3: be a problem in Northeast Harbor, you're right.
2: And, again, it's not the same kind of uh, commercial atmosphere at all as Bar Harbor. It doesn't cater to that. It caters to the extraordinarily high-end houses that... uh, Populate the uh, town of Mount Dessert, including my friend Alan, who's a resident.
3: <laughs> Not in Northeast Harbor, yeah. but town of Mount Dessert. Yeah,
2: yes. so anyway. Uh, we are doing Boat Talk this morning. As I told Alan before, we are so lucky that they let us come in here and do this. And uh, just an absolute
3: joy to be able to call anybody on the planet and talk to them about their naval issues. Oh, speaking of uh, calling, too, um, I should also say that I have the uh, Boat Talk email um, computer going to if anybody would like to send in an email rather than calling you just uh, can use the address boat talk at gmail.com and when i say we uh, hope to link to that
2: uh, maritime executive uh, princess carnival line uh, pollution uh, story and also possibly the uh uh Teenagers' fifty-one days lost at sea story. That would be Alan who would uh, be pushing the buttons on that, and hopefully we'd we'll be able to link that stuff, and you can read that if we can. Uh, hopefully, get Michael Finkel on the phone here in a couple minutes. So he is in the uh, literally in the south of France, and and uh, was emailing him back and forth, and uh, literally come come together in the middle of the night last night. He's been away and just got home, but I would like to uh, make the point one more time. Uh, before we get him on the phone, about how good that book is, uh, Stranger in the Woods. The uh, oh, the subtitle is the extraordinary story of the last true hermit, Chris Knight, who just uh, wandered off into the woods near Moosehead, walked away from his uh, unpaid-for vehicle um, near Moosehead and wandered through the woods literally, for a week or two and ended up in central maine pretty near killed himself in the beginning yeah not far from where he grew up uh coincidentally but he didn't know he couldn't even told you what pond he was on he uh tried a couple other spots and he found this boulder den and he hid in the woods for 27 years not far third of a mile from the closest camp he stole from those people and took their peace of mind was caught finally by a game warden who was uh backed up by the Department of Homeland Security and some high-tech surveillance gear yep. at the Pine Tree Camp for disabled kids that he was using as his supermarket. And uh, uh, Chris Knight, a very uh, smart but uh, not well-adjusted socially out of, fella,
3: Out of the bell curve, for yeah. sure.
2: <laughs> who um become an extraordinary woodsman, and and one of the most extraordinary things about Chris Knight was in 27 years he never lit a fire in the woods. basically because he didn't want to be found he didn't want to he didn't want to be caught uh, scavenging he didn't want people to see the smoke he you know Uh, but he stole propane tanks and uh, coleman stoves and i i
3: I give him very low marks for uh, creativity um but we'll have to go to that some other time we do have michael finkel on oh good so we'll switch over to the south pacific bonjour michael
0: Bonjour from France.
2: How, how is it in France today, my friend?
0: It's warm here in the South, but, uh, you know, I'm enjoying my life. Yeah. But, oh, <laughs>
2: ain't you lucky. We were just uh, recapping the uh, North Pond uh, Hermit story here, Stranger in the Woods, and I have been Thank making you. the point that I think it's a uh, new main classic that is... That uh, is
0: Sweet. You know, I don't like to push my own stuff, but uh, here it makes a good Father's Day
2: gift. <laughs> there you go. Deeply compelling, <laughs> according to Publishers Weekly, uh, you know.
0: Buy, buy a book for your dad. You know, you never know what to buy someone for a dad, but buy like a short, cool, weird book for your dad and you might be impressed. That's I, my that's my last I'm done sales pitching.
2: I keep trying to re borrow the book, but it's in motion. Every time uh, somebody finishes reading it, they talk about it and somebody else reads it. It's uh yeah,
4: but that, again, that i happy to hear.
2: I think it's a uh, uh a classic, extraordinarily extraordinary story and, and you did a good job writing there too.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah.
2: You've uh, caused me uh probably to think about the um Idea of being alone, being a hermit, whether you can survive on your own—the sociality of uh, the human species—gonna uh, be thinking about that, and for the rest of my life. And and you made me think is the highest compliment I think I can. Besides, you've done a good job, Reitner.
0: I ap- I appreciate that. You know, spending all that time with Chris Knight, the hermit who spent 27 years alone—it's not like I expect anyone to spend even you know one week alone, but. It's kind of strange how if you think about your day, and I'm talking about everyone who's listening, like, I bet you most people never spend like 10 minutes alone. And when I say alone, I mean, don't pull out your phone and start looking at messages just by yourself. And it's sort of strange if you just pull, I'm not talking about meditating, you don't have to do anything specific, just chill out for a few minutes every day. It's like the the easiest advice you've ever heard from anyone to improve your life. Just do nothing for a couple of minutes. That's all I'm asking. And it's harder than you think but uh with amazing rewards that's all i have to say just do nothing for a couple of minutes every day everyone and i think the whole temperature of society which is running on redlining here as if uh, you know, no matter what side of the political divide you're on everyone's running too hot i think it might just chill out a few essential degrees forget about global warming i'm talking about population warming warming you know it's like uh, societal warming getting too hot
2: and and, and do it while you're uh, jamming leonard Skinner, according to chris knight
0: Exactly. You can listen to music. That is being alone.
2: Because, again, he wasn't totally alone. So So anyway, Michael, you you emailed me uh, another story that you wrote for GQ magazine. It's entitled, uh, How Three Toki Lao Teenagers Survived Being Lost in the Ocean for 51 Days. Uh, This also blew me away. Um, I'm a big fan of survival stories. I've rarely read a more uh, stupid one of... uh, Fellas that did not deserve to survive who did quite accidentally. Um, How did you come on to this story?
0: Well, first of all, I agree with you. I am riveted by survival stories as well. Uh, Both, uh, I guess you termed this one as stupid, and I guess my only defense is that I was a teenager once. I won't speak for you, but I'll be surprised if you never did anything stupid when you were a teenager and kind of feel lucky to get away with it. If you say no to that, I'm going to call you a liar.
2: Um, We were good kids. (laughs) I didn't say you weren't a good kid. I say we didn't make trouble. I'm just saying we were good trouble, all right? So that's my defense. All right. I mean,
0: I remember jamming like 10 friends in the back of a pickup truck, and I don't think anyone was drunk, but we were flying along the roads with us yeah. in the back, backseat, oh, you know, yeah. no seatbelts. I mean, that's even minor stuff. Yeah. I'm just saying. I so, was a teenager once, too. So but had... I love survival stories. How do people survive and how do people not survive? You know, there are just crazy ones. Even even in the state of Maine, that woman who just sort of wandered off the Appalachian Trail and didn't know what to do and set up that tent and starved to death. You know, it's like some people get, some people do like, you know, really phone, hone in on their focus, like you know, um, uh, the the man who fell and broke his leg and crawled out of the, of the Himalayas. You know, and then there's other one, you know, other ones who just sort of give up, like the woman on the Appalachian Trail. And what you know, what happens to you when you're in the direst of situations? I think it's a, I think it's always a fascinating topic for me as well.
2: The story about the boys goes back to the sociology thing again. It starts off on an island, uh, a, a Tafui, is it a? a- yeah,
4: so
0: Tokelau is, this, you've never heard of it. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny island in the South Pacific. its uh, I think it's administered by New Zealand. It's just, you know, it's one of those little island communities in, in, in the vast ocean. And it's hard, sort of hard to get your head around how big the ocean is. You know, we, we look at maps, but really, you know, it's really water that dominates the the, the world, not land. And so, you know, a ton a ton of, ton of ocean there and then three kids, basically teenagers and, you know, on a dare, on a whim, let's you know, let's take a boat. Let's try and get to the next island. <laughs> uh, no, uh, drinking, drinking booze late at night. You know, no good. No good comes to that.
2: They live on an island that's only a mile and a half squares, uh, fifteen feet high. The nearest uh, island is thirty-seven miles away. Five hundred people. there, are bored out of their little bad uh, boy heads, and again, smoking <laughs> Pall Malls and drinking uh, uh, plastic uh, vodka and uh, steal Uncle's boat and decide that some other kids had gone on an adventure. They'd borrowed a boat, gone to the next island, and and they got lost, but they got found, and it was all a good time. So so they're getting the hell off that damn island, and they did it on purpose.
0: Right. You know, j- just to set the scene, like you mentioned, a tiny island uh, that has been, ha- have, you know, there's been people living there for many, many, perhaps thousands of years. They have their own language, Tokelauan, and their own, you know, culture, but, you know, with the Internet and with, you know, with social media, people know people are aware that you know what's going on around the world. And if you have 500 people on a tiny island, and you take the boat the boat to bu- to school rather than the bus, you know, to a little another tiny island, you do you can feel a little restless. And they had this little clubhouse that boys did, and the teenagers were, like you said, probably smoking bad cigarettes and certainly drinking bad vodka, and just sort of like, what can we do? Let's you know, teenage boy stuff. Let's cause a little trouble. Uh, hey, remember that time ten years ago? These other three teenagers stole a boat or or borrowed it without permission, perhaps it'd be better since it is their uncle's boat, and uh, went out to sea for three days and got rescued, and they were sort of punished by the adults, but they were heroes to us. Let's do that. Let's go out to the next island and, you know, if if we get lost, well, shoot, someone will come and rescue us in three days, and What's the worst thing that can happen? We'll be heroes and people will be talking about us for 10 years. That was, that was the thought pattern.
2: Yeah, let's have another sip of vodka and think about what we need. And uh, you get some uh, fishing hooks. I'll get a, a couple of uh, old coconuts and, and a mayonnaise jar of water. They thought to bring a mayonnaise jar of water, but they really didn't bring anything with them.
0: So three boys, you know, everyone said they were going to go and then the bluster, you know, sort of went around and, it, it, you know, I guess there was about a dozen boys in this room and I think most of them said, yeah, never mind, I'm going to bed, it's midnight. But three of them said, I'm going to do it. And you know how that is when you're a little drunk and you don't want to, you don't want to admit that you're scared and there's more than one. So, yeah, you're right. They said, let's grab supplies. I'll borrow my uh, uncle's boat. Now, <laughs> the kid who was supposed to get the fishing gear got scared about waking up people in his family. Uh, I think someone else who was supposed to get food, you're right, brought like a maybe a couple of coconuts and a, like I said, an old mayonnaise jar that was filled with water. And someone else remembered, of course, to bring cigarettes and some more vodka. And these boys got on this boat and they knew growing up in this island that, you know, and it's, it's an atoll, which is basically a ring. And in the center of the island, there's a, you know, there's very still water, you know, the, uh, the, the center of the, the calmness in the center of an atoll, which is basically like a sunken volcanic rim. But they know that on the outside in the, uh, in the Pacific that this is something that you're not allowed to culturally it's like forbidden to leave the the reef around the island unless you're with someone who knows how to do to pilot a boat and they knew what they were doing no matter they can't excuse themselves. they can't say they were too drunk they knew and they decided they would leave this ring and uh, they had an engine on this boat is a you can't imagine it was literally like an aluminum dinghy no shelter no shade like three benches and a motor and that's it, it was, they zoomed uh, out of there it's
2: an aluminum pontoon boat, basically, it was a uh, oh, yeah. rigid, rigid uh, uh, dinghy with aluminum pontoons, basically unsinkable, which is good, lucky for them.
0: Lucky for them, indeed. Although, uh, you know, unsinkable just means that probably someone will eventually find your body rather than you end up at the bottom of the ocean. Yep. But uh, um, you know, so the boys to continue the story in the basic, most basic terms. I mean, you got these three boys, you know, uh, and they were an interesting trifecta. Yes that's i think maybe one of the reasons why the trip was both brutally difficult and perhaps one of the reasons why they survived so just briefly though know, the names are a little unusual because it's a tokelau but the three boys one was absolutely a local a kid who grew up on this island and the closest island is Samoa, which is a 28-hour ferry ride away. It's tiny. But the, there was a local kid who was a good athlete. And then there was a kid who grew up in Australia, sort of caused a little trouble. And his father was from Tokolo and sort of was punished by being sent to this island. So there was the outsider who was also a good athlete. And they became friends. This ultimate insider and this ultimate outsider became friends. And then there was the nerd. The third kid was just a year younger. But when you're talking about 17 and 16 or 16 and 15, oh, yeah, so it's 15, 15, and 14. And, you know, that year makes a difference. And the third kid um, was skinny and sort of nerdy and had gotten good grades and wanted to be like a doctor rather than the other two wanted to be professional, you know, I think uh, rugby players, and never really had done anything bad and just figured being a smart kid in the clubhouse, hey, in one fell swoop, I can make up, I could change my reputation from being a nerd to being, like, a daring, adventurous guy. And so I'm going to go with these two older boys. What could happen? So that's the three. The outsider, the insider, and the nerd set sail, a little drunk, past midnight, but not even remotely enough supplies or food, maybe enough food to last a day. A compass? and
2: uh, I'm sure they, they had one, but I doubt they weren't really navigating,
0: so, you know. No, a map, did you say? No, compass. Okay, no, no compass. Were you kidding? I didn't <laughs> think of that. <laughs> I think you did use the word stupid, and the more I go over this, I don't like to use that word because it was just like how to speak for myself. I did some, I, I did some impulsive things when I was a teenager, and I survived them all because I'm here to talk to you about it. And in retrospect, I feel a little embarrassed about it, but at the time I felt like they were important important for me like these adventures I survived I made it through I didn't you know I didn't do anything that crazy but yeah, they didn't really have any let's just talk about the, the, the dumbness of the first night they're like oh you know what we're gonna do we're gonna follow a star which is sort of smart So we go in the same direction they knew that the, that the uh, nearest island was to the south. They weren't exactly sure of their directions but they figured they would follow a star. Uh, they neglected to realize that during the day there are no. Stars. They didn't even bring sunglasses or a hat because it was nighttime when they left. They weren't thinking very well, and they brought, as you mentioned, a tiny, like the tiniest amount of water. And so the first night, you know, they're screaming and excited, and they zoom out of there. And oh, by the way, they didn't bring any more gas for their engine. This was an all-thought-of, and they scream out of there, and they're in the greatest of moods, and they're drinking the extra vodka, and eventually one of the boys decides to fall asleep on the bottom of the boat. And then the other one, and I believe the nerdy kid was the last one up. He probably thought in his mind, you know, I should make sure I follow this one star. I should make sure I keep the engine straight. But I think he, too, fell asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they were probably woken up by the sun the next morning.
2: And, uh, again, it, it goes downhill from there. In about six days, they got nothing. And um, uh, the middle one there, uh, Samu, he decides to uh, drink seawater, and they all decide to drink some seawater uh, well proven non survival tech meat uh, um, seawater, I believe you point out is three times as salty as blood, and one ounce of seawater will cause you to make one and three quarter ounces of urine to get rid of it and that's a losing equation so
0: um, i I know I, you know so. Just to back up a tiny bit, let's just make sure everyone roll their eyes one more time. So, you know, they wake up in the morning. They're like, oh, uh, there's no more stars, and all we could see is water all around us. We have no idea which way we're going to go. And look at that. The engine ran all the way out of gas. Uh, and our palm so malls, little...
2: and we let our palm malls get wet. They're so stupid they couldn't even get the cigarettes <laughs> dry, you
0: know. Hey, cigarette, but let's get to even stupider. They're, like, floating at sea. And guess what? Of course, people on land wake up. They see what's, uh, what's uh, that three boys are missing on a boat. And they, they put one-on-one one together, and of course, they organize a rescue. And uh, I think they even got a plane out of uh, either Samoa or even New Zealand right at first. And the boys see this plane that's clearly flying low and looking for them. And so do they wave their T-shirts and you know decide to go up and down? No. They've said one night at sea is lame. Those other boys did three. got to do at least another day here before we're rescued. (laughs) And so they hid in their boat. And the plane didn't spot them. There's a lot of flashing on the water. It's hard to see a little boat. And the plane went away. And the second day happened. And now they're really out of water. And they find a couple of extra coconuts like hidden under the benches and they're nasty and they smash them and they drink them and they throw the shells in the water all like, all right, so we got to, you know, we're close to having enough for two days. We figure that plane will come back and another night comes and they're really cold at night and wet and they're like starting to get concerned. And the third day happens and they really don't have anything to drink and there's no sign of a plane and there's no sign of anything and the fourth day and now what the hell do you do? with three people on a boat and nothing to do and no idea where you are and no place, place to make a phone call and no water. And you are, you realize that you are in deep, deep something. And, um, and these boys began to panic. And like you said, they, one of them, you know, they're looking at all this water and they know in the back of their head that drinking seawater is not a good idea, but, I really, from this point forward of the story forward, I cannot tell you what I would do All, everything before was dumb, everything after this point where I've never suffered even four days without really drinking I mean oh, I mean one day without drinking, I don't know what I would do here, and neither do you um but they sipped some seawater and maybe I would have too, just even knowing it was bad, you sometimes can't control that, and um it just got worse from there. And you figured someone in this situation, I'm talking the sun blazing down on you, no food, no water in a hot part of the world. And you they... probably have a week in you and yeah. we, we're going to, we're going to zoom to the end, but you, we said at the beginning 51 days, which is more than seven weeks. And in between, we can get into what happened.
2: And in between they, they don't help themselves. They won't take the engine apart to uh, make anything to fish with. They, they only <sighs> didn't, didn't, uh, catch a fish that didn't wash into the boat they caught a couple birds accidentally um, they turned on each other uh, the uh, nerd quit went up in the bow curled up in a ball the other guy started kicking him and punching him and, and uh, one of the uh, other fellows uh, came to him uh, finally and says if I kill the uh, uh, other fellow here will you fuss and are you going to want to eat him with me and they ended up not doing that they got run over uh, a New Zealand tuna fishing boat had to alter course, otherwise would have gone right by them, and, and the boys were rescued without uh, again. Wonderful story, Michael. I told you we'd be barely pressed for twenty minutes here, man. Um,
0: I mean, it's an incredible story. Yeah, I mean, like you said, long story short, they survived barely. Uh, you know, can't, they, can't, they did not resort to cannibalism, but boy, was it thought of. There was there was a machete on the boat, and they threatened each other by putting it to their necks and sort of times we're at each other's throats, literally. At times we're like this incredible team where they like wrap themselves up in a, you know, one little tarp at night. Uh, By hook, by crook, by luck, by toughness, by youth, by something. They survived more than seven weeks. They were probably within days of death when, like you said, a large tuna boat came so close to them that they, they had to alter car, car course and it's just fortunate that someone looked over the edge saw them michael uh,
3: we, we're, we're afraid we're
2: out of time we got uh, so. piped us out and, and again the final lesson here I guess dumb luck can save you if you're dumb lucky how about that one to uh, enter out this morning thank you so much for chatting with us this morning Michael literally anytime Michael oh, Finkel this much morning and we are, uh, like I say, we've overstayed our welcome on boat talk. We got music up next for Hillsinger and his brother Dave on the wing today. Support for
0: WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble and Hunter sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers.